Man, it is good to be back. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we weren't either. Uh, at least my family and I, we were in the uh, magical land of Kentucky, um, northern frosty Kentucky. I don't think we got above like 12 degrees the whole weekend, which was kind of neat, and uh, we got stuck a couple extra days um, due to some beautiful, snowy, delightful, like best sledding weather of my 41 years that I've ever had, and my spine still feels it. Um, you know you're old when after you sled, like your ribs hurt. Like that's that's nothing that kids experience. That's what old men experience. And like my ribs are still tender. At one point, I went airborne and I landed, and I think all of my vertebrae touched each other at the same time. And it was, man, it was something to experience. It was good. Just wait until you're old if you're not there yet. It's great. It's great. But I'm grateful that I can say that I'm old. Like I've made it this far because my brothers and I, we did dumb stuff. And we should have all, we, we, we shouldn't have made it this long, but we did somehow. But anyway, good to be back. It was neat to be able to sit in the living room of my in-laws and, uh, and watch last week and just tune in and worship with you guys from afar. Like, technology is great. I, that's, it's such a weird thing. Like, I never, I never imagined that we would be in a year in which, like, that would even, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. So, this morning we're back in First John. Um, and, like, to kind of set up where we are, like, we've been in this, we've been in First John since November. We took a break for Advent and we've returned. Um, and today we can kind of get the sense that John is, is circling the airstrip. Like, he's circling the runway. He's there. Like, he's getting ready for final approach. He's getting ready to land the plane. Um, and today, we're just going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we'll wrap, we'll wrap up First John over the next couple of weeks. But today, it kind of is some concluding ideas, and he's going to restate some things, and, and kind of a different way for me to, to process this. We're not going to tackle everything that he says in these five verses, but we're going to look at two of them. We're going to read them all, talk about what's there, restate some things that we've already said. Like I said, he's going to kind of do a little bit of a summary or a refresher, um, but we're going to look at two ideas. And I'll go ahead and just tell you that the idea that we're going to think about today, it, it's probably going to create a little bit of like uneasy squirminess in us, just a bit. Um, you know, like if it, I can watch, like the, the beauty of me sitting here instead of out there is I can tell when people are uncomfortable and it's, it's okay. Like, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that people are listening and that people hear things and they just kind of start to squirm and they don't want to make eye contact. That's okay. You don't have to look at me. You can look at the screen behind me if you want to avoid me. I'm not the best looking guy up here, and so that's okay. The screen's probably much better. Um, but uh, thank the Lord for grace and marriage and that my wife sees something in me. But either way, I, I love being able just to see the discomfort that's going to happen. And so it might be there for you today. Like, it's here for me, to be honest, and what we're going to talk about. And so I may squirm a bit, too. So... Let's go ahead and jump in. Chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, talk about what he's restating, but then kind of look at this. It's not a new idea for the book, but it's, it's something that hasn't been addressed in depth yet by John. Let's pray, and then we'll read. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for time today. Thank you for a family that we get to worship with, we get to learn with. Um, hopefully, God, we get to grow with. Um, and God, thank you for some new faces and some returning faces. God, thank you that you remind us that uh, the next time we do a baby dedication, there are going to be a lot of babies and parents up here. And God, just thank you for continuing to grow us. Thank you for continuing to shepherd us. Uh, and thank you for giving us your word to grow by. We love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I got to take my neck warmer off real quick. because It's hot. <sighs> okay. That's better. All right. So chapter 5, verse 1. Oops, it fell. Here we go. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. 
For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so a couple very familiar topics and ideas that he's already addressing in this passage before we kind of land and and run with it. Um, He's already pointing out again, just like we've seen throughout this book, that if we believe in Jesus as the Christ, we are with God. Kind of that if-then statement, like if we believe in Jesus. It even says at one point, this is the commandment, that you believe in Jesus who was sent by God. Do that as a commandment. And if you do, you're with God, like living with God, relationally with God, intimately with God, bound up in him, an if-then statement. Another if-then statement in here is is if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, then we are to love one another. Like, we are going to love each other as a result of who we've been reborn to be, that if-then statement. And it is conditional upon our salvation. If we are united with God through Jesus, we will love one another. It's not a choice that we make, um, even though we kind of have to choose to continue, but we have been remade, reborn into this place to where we are now family, united with God vertically, united with each other horizontally. He also says that here is our, our proof of our salvation is that love for one another. And then he reminds us later towards the end that we have something we talked about two weeks ago. Starts with a V. It ends with victory. We have victory. And it's not we are earning victory. It's not victory is coming. No, no, no. As a result of Jesus, we have victory now over this world. It has already been granted to us. The battle, the war, it is done. We are living in victory now. One day victory will be completely complete, completely seen. When Jesus returns, we're united with him for the rest of all of this eternity. But even now, we can live in victory and understand that the world cannot take us out. Sin cannot destroy us. Satan has no claim on us. It doesn't matter what he says. We have victory now. And that's a big deal. We don't talk about victory enough. I'll be honest, as white evangelicals, we don't talk about victory in Jesus enough, but we need to, and we have it. And then lastly, uh, that victory is obtained simply because we believe in Jesus, not by our doing, not by our working, nope, just Jesus. Huge idea, huge idea. And so we've heard these things as we've gone through the book of 1 John, but here's the idea that I want us to look at uh, in verses 2 and 3, the places that we're going to spend our time and focus on today. It says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, or this is how we show our love for God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Here's the thing we've got to get today. Here's our if-then statement, and just, just bear with me. If we love God, we obey God. That's it. If we love God, then we obey God. And here's the tension in that, okay? Because the tension is, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. I am the master of my own domain. (laughs) You know, that's something Will Ferrell would say. But anyway, we're not going to get into Will Ferrell. Um, But we just don't, we don't like to hear it. We don't like to hear this idea that there is obedience attached to Jesus, that there is obedience attached to this life that we've said that we want. We want eternity. We want salvation. Well, guess what? If we want those things, there's also obedience there. And this passage just says this, our love for God is evident in this. If we do what we're told. If we do what we're told. And I know that's squirmy. I know that's uncomfortable. 
Because there's a lot about Christianity that's really, really appealing, like there is. Like the fact that, that there's a place called heaven, and we're going to get to spend some time there. There are streets that shine like gold. There are seas that look like crystals. There's no more sadness, no more sickness, no more pain, no more fighting, no more politics, no more none of that. That's great. That's awesome. I, I want that, like I do. And I want to see that new heaven. I want to see that new earth. I want to walk around in that, and I want to soak it in, like I do. Like I want that. I want it for my kids. I want it for my wife. I want it for every one of you. That's good. I like the idea that sin's no longer my master. You know, I love that idea that this sin thing that that held me captive, that separated me from God, it's a beautiful idea to know that I have victory over that, not by any work of my own, but just by Jesus. I want that. That sounds great. Like, I I want this idea to know that that, uh, I have been bound to the creator of everything. Like God made it all, and he made me, and as a result of Jesus, by grace through faith, I can know him, and not just know the stories about him, but I can know him. I get to walk and talk with him like Adam and Eve before the fall. I get to know what he sounds like. I get to know what he moves like. I get to know God as a result of salvation. I want that. But then you tell me, oh yeah, but you also have to obey. Man, that just, I'll be honest, that flesh side of me, we talked about the battle. That's when the flesh side of me just says, mm, you ain't going to tell me to do nothing. <laughs> it's just, you know, I get the head shake. You know, you, but it's reality. It's reality. But I also know for us as we, we follow Jesus as new believers, as seasoned veterans, like I also understand there's a bit of tension there of, man, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Like, by the way, like when we're reading the book of 1 John, none of this, if we've read the Gospels, nothing in 1 John, should, we, should, we shouldn't be hearing it for the first time. Like I love when Scripture affirms itself. And 1 John's probably one of the best examples that we have of that. You can probably read two chapters in the book of John. Like we can read about when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and we can read John chapter 14. And we read those two things, and we read the book of 1 John, and we're like, oh man, I've heard every bit of this before. I've heard all this. I love it when Scripture affirms itself. Because none of this is is new. But here's the inner turmoil. Not just that someone's telling us what to do and we need to obey it, but like the question, the the elephant in the pew or the folding chairs, because we have those, we don't have pews. The elephant is, well, well, what do you mean by keep commandments? Which commandments are you referring to? Like if you're doing the five-day reading plan with us right now, you're, you're in the midst of Leviticus. Like we just left Exodus, okay? We're in Leviticus, and I know. Like, I get it. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you I got it all figured out. Because I'm there, too, and I read these, and I'm like, man, I got, I got no clue. I got no clue what you're talking about right now. I don't have any idea. Do I do, I do this? Do I not do this? I, I, don't, I don't know. So I understand there's, there's this tension there. Like, you, you tell me that I need to obey, that I need to keep your commandments. Well, what, what commandments are those? Is it the 10? Is it the 10 plus 47? Is it the 10 plus 296? Is it just the, the 78 that Jesus talked about? Is it, is it just the, all of that? Which, 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 which ones do I? What, what are you talking about? And we start to get stressed about it. And we sweat a little. I had this conversation. It's really interesting how this, all of this kind of fleshed itself out because just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to a guy that I just I love dearly. Uh, I've watched God do some great things in him, and this exact conversation came up. And here, here's my best advice, because I know the turmoil of you don't get to tell me what to do, but also, okay, if you're going to tell me what to do, then what is that? What exactly do I do? What, where do I even start? The conclusion that we came up with that day is this. 
We have been blessed beyond measure to live in the time and the day that we live in because we get to do something that the Old Testament followers of God did not. We get to do something that uh, the people of Israel uh, leaving Egypt did not. We get to do something that even the people around the time of David did not get to do. Man, we get to start with Jesus. We get to start with Jesus. In this, this little bitty passage in chapter 5, it says this, that by this we know that we have been born of Him, or by this we, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, or this is how we demonstrate our love for God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For us, it, yes, we could go back to the Old Testament and try to go through every one, and it wouldn't be a bad starting place, but for us, the best place for us to start is with Jesus, Period. With Jesus, Because here's what we need to know and here's what we need to understand. Um, for Jesus to come and die as he did, to be a substitutionary atonement for me, big words, for him to die in my place and through that grant me access to God, Jesus had to do something. Jesus had to live out every bit of that confusing law right down to the ink and nod. He had to live it out without flaw. He had to live it out without deviation at all. He had to live it out without any just argument at all. He had to live it out to perfection. If he did not, his death would have been pointless. Because you have to look at the grand scope of humanity. If he is dying for every single possible conceivable sin that has been done, that means that he had to live out life to perfection, and he did. And so for us, if we're confused as to what it means to keep my commandments, to obey, man, we start with Jesus. And the first place that we start is we, we look at Jesus' life. We look at his life. Um, like I said, he had to live out the law in order to be the sacrifice needed. He didn't deviate. He kept it all because, man, if he didn't, his death would have meant nothing. Um, and, he, and here's what it means. For us, if we want to understand what it means to obey God, to obey his commandments, it means that we start with Jesus. And guess what? We need to read the Gospels. We actually need to read them. If you want to start in John, great. You want to start in Matthew, great. Mark, great. Luke, great. Start. I don't care. We need to read them. If we want to understand what it means to live these things out, the first place we look is Jesus' life. And our first place to see that is in the Gospels. We read and we look and we observe. We find out how he lived these things out. In John 14, we're going to reference back to John 14 and 15 a decent amount today. John 14, verses 8 through 11 Uh, Jesus is going to have a conversation with Philip. In verse 8, Philip said to him, it says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, he's like, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. He said, look, if you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know the works of God, if you want to know the mind of God, look at me. That's what Jesus is telling Philip. He's saying, look, if you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know what God does, if you want to know how God loves, if you want to know how God responds to you, look at me. I'm him. And I know that's confusing. I know it wrecks our brain to think the Son is the Father, the Father is the Son, and the Spirit is both. Like, yeah, I get it. It it just, it wrecks with our brain. It messes with us. But Jesus is saying it. He's like, Philip, I've been with you all this time. How can you not understand? 
I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. When you've seen me, you've seen him. And the reason that God gave all the commandments, the reason that God that he gave all these do's and do nots, it's not because he wanted to, to rob our joy, but no, he wanted to connect us with him. He wanted to point us to his very heart. All of these things are an expression of his holiness and his goodness and his divine will for his creation. If we want to see that, we look at Jesus. We look at how he walked. We look at how he talked. And I'm not saying that we need to to copy his swagger. We're not going to do that because I don't think there's any way that we could. But either way, that's a weird thing for me to say, and I probably shouldn't go there again. But we look to Jesus. We look at how he lived. We look at what he did. Man, we look at how he responded when he was assaulted. We look at how he was confronted with sin, what he did. We look at how he addressed religion and see these things. We look at Jesus. Look at his life. We look at his death. We look at his resurrection. Because in that, we get to see God. If we want to know what it looks like to live these things out, we start with his life. The second thing that we do is, man, this seems super mundane and super normal, but, man, we listen to his words. Like, we've made this statement over and over that following Jesus is is simple, it's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. It's not complex. It's not multifaceted. Here, we, if we want to know what it means to obey God, to obey his commandments, to live those out, we look at the life of Jesus, and if we want to hear what those are, we listen to the words of Jesus. We listen to him speak about what these things are. In John 14, verses 15, he says, If you love me, same exact words that we hear in 1 John, by the way, These are coming from Jesus' mouth. You know how I know? Because they're red in my Bible, which is really good, super handy. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That if-then statement comes right back. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. He says, look, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. Listen to my words. Hear what they are. Like, know that. And there's a second part of that. I'm not going to give it away yet. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. But he says, if if you love me, keep my commandments directly from Jesus' mouth. And then he repeats this several other times of just just listen. And if we're we're listening to his words to know what to do, we have to understand the very first thing when he entered into this, this life of ministry. You know what the first thing he said was in Mark? Man, in Mark chapter 1, he entered the scene and he just said two things. And I do believe these fall under the categories of what we need to do when we're listening to Jesus. He said, repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. That's it. He said, the kingdom of God, it's at hand. It is close. It is coming. Repent, believe the gospel. Turn from your sin, first commandment of Jesus. Turn from that. Turn to me. Believe the good news. The good news is you cannot fix yourself, but I can if you just believe. Repent and believe. And then at the end of it, right before he left for, for good, heavenly, before he returns on a white horse with a sword and possibly tattoos on his thigh, and it is going to be crazy, the last thing that he said, he said, go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I have commanded for you. And so the bookends of Jesus' ministry, he starts with a commandment saying, repent and believe the gospel, and then he closes with go and make disciples and tell them everything you've learned. And so guess what? We start here, we finish here, and everything in between the words of Jesus we need to hear. We need to listen. We need to read. And we need to understand what does it mean when he says, man, just if you love me, keep my commandments. He talks about money. He talks about sex. 
He talks about marriage. He talks about love. He talks about hate. He talks about who we love first, who we love most. That's God. He talks about who we love second. That's our neighbors. He talks about who we give preference to in love. That's the one another. He tells us all those things bookended by repent and believe. Go and make disciples. Teach them all I've commanded you to do. In between, everything. We start with Jesus. Man, I truly believe this, that if we started with Jesus and we just looked at his life and his words, I'm not saying that we wouldn't need the Old Testament. I'm not saying that at all. We do need the Old Testament. We desperately need the Old Testament. It's foundational. It's brick by brick. It builds something. It pushes us towards this idea that we can't do this, which we'll get to in a minute. But, man, we need it. But if we just looked at the life and the words of Jesus, it wouldn't be nearly as confusing. It wouldn't be nearly as confusing. So he tells us all those in-betweens, and there's no way that we could go through all of those. But guess what? As followers, as Christ followers, it's, it's our job to listen. It's our job to learn. It's our job to delve into that and see what that looks like. It's not our job to sit and let somebody spoon-feed you all those things. I, I know that sounds harsh, and I, and I want to teach Scripture and the full counsel of Scripture from that. But man, you will never, I will never, if I am just sitting somewhere on Sunday or just listening to podcasts and I'm not diving into this, making it part of my life, I will never know all that I need to know, all that I want to know, all that I desire to know. It will not happen. If you can read on a fifth grade, like, um, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'll stop. I'll say it calmer. <laughs> I'll still say it. If you can read on a fifth grade level, you can, you can read the Bible. Okay. So not only do we look at the life of Jesus, look at the words of Jesus, but we can also look at the affirmation and the assurance of Jesus too because there's another little, little thing in John 5 that I want to come back to in just a second. But in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to a very Jewish audience that um, their perception of what it meant to obey had become so weighty and so heavy. And their perception of even why they obeyed had become convoluted with religion and just, man, false ideas Because at this point, at this time, at this place, in culture, when Jesus came, uh, the religious establishment, they believed that everything they did or did not do either made them acceptable to God or refuse to God, one or the other. The grace equation was escaping them. They hadn't quite grasped it yet. And so Jesus came. And he said to them in in chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all of you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, 1 John doesn't tell us anything new. Remember, if we go right back to 1 John, and it's talking about this idea in verses 2 and 3. In verse 3 it says, For this is the love of God, or this reveals our love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome, or they are not heavy nor do they weigh us down. Jesus was speaking to a very Jewish audience, and he said, look, if you are being weighed down by your perception of the law, then you're looking at it wrong. You're taking it wrong. Jesus just says, look, he tells us a couple things. Number one, there is a yoke, but it's easy, and the burden's light. I don't know if you've ever visually seen a yoke, but a yoke is just that, that straight piece of wood that generally went over the back of an ox or multiple ox, and it was used in order to, uh, to link them to a cart or a carriage so that they could pull a heavy load or a plow. It was a yoke, and that yoke not only linked them to a load, but it was also a steering mechanism for that farmer that knew where they needed to go. 
that knew which field needed to be plowed, to, knew, to know where the load needed to go either way. So the first thing that we need to understand is that, yes, there is a yoke involved. Just like that idea of the turmoil that says, hey, I don't like being told what to do. Well, to be, let me just be clear. We need to get over that, okay? I need to get over that. I need to move on from that. Because here is the, the first confession that needs to come. I don't like being told what to do, but right behind it, the second confession that needs to come, I need someone to tell me what to do. Because every time I try to tell myself what to do, guess what? I mess it up big. In this life, someone will put a yoke on you whether you like it or not. It can be the world or it can be Jesus. And the world doesn't care where you go. The world's going to steer that yoke wherever it desires, and it is no place that we want to end up. But Jesus, he says, yes, there's a yoke, but it's easy, and my burden's light. I'm not going to load that cart with more than you can carry, and I'm not going to steer you in places that you don't need to go. And guess what? You know the other beautiful thing about a yoke? Is it was super rare that it was just one person in a yoke. Most of the time it was in teams, in families. Jesus also assured us, he said, I didn't save you to be isolated followers of me. I saved you to be co-laborers for the mission and the glory of the kingdom. I'm going to yoke you to me and I'm going to steer you, but I'm going to yoke you together so that you can do it as a family. But he said, yes, there's a yoke. There is a yoke. And I will steer you. I will direct you. But I'll be easy. And my burden will be light. The confession needs to be there that, yes, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, but if we're honest, (laughs) we need to get to a place that we admit that we need God to direct our life, that we need Him to tell us where to go. Because left to myself, I'll choose the wrong door every time. Every time. Jesus also calls Himself a good shepherd which would have been a stark contrast to most shepherds that were seen during this time because most shepherds were just, man, they were bad. And that's the reason he said, I'm a good one. I'm not like the rest. My sheep know me. I know them. I'm going to lead them to places that there is abundant food, and I'm going to protect them. Yeah, we may admit that we don't want anybody telling us where to go, but we also have to admit right on the heels of that that we need it, that we need it. Here's the other thing. We look at his life, we listen to his words, and then the third thing is we trust his promise. If we go back to John chapter 14, there's this beautiful little hidden nugget in there. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And then you skip down to verse 25, and he says, These things I've spoken to you uh, while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all that I have said to you. Here's the other thing. Jesus understood that he was asking a big deal of us. He understood that asking us to obey his commandments was something by nature I could not do. He understood that I needed a yoke. He understood that I needed guidance. And he understood that when he left, it would be far better for me, far better for you, if the Spirit came in his stead and stayed. And he said, when I leave, 
understand, I'm not leaving you by yourself. No, I'm leaving you with my spirit, who not only is going to be with you in person while you're eating at a table, or be with you in the forest while we're praying, or be with you when we're talking to the religious. No, 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 I'm never going to leave you. That spirit's going to come in you as a seal of your salvation to teach you, to guide you, to empower you, to equip you, to guide you, to yoke you. Jesus knew what he was asking. Even though his burden was easy and his yoke was light, he knew that humanly we were incapable. Incapable. We also have to confess that, that without God I am incapable of keeping his commandments. That confession needs to be on us. We need to see because if we were capable, Jesus' death would be moot. There would be no reason. If I was capable of doing good, ultimate good, and being okay with God as a result of that, Jesus wouldn't need to die. But you know what? Jesus knew there is no chance in our sinful, fallen, busted up, broken down state that we could ever keep his commandments to the fulfillment that is required for holiness. He knew it. So he came, he lived, lived out everyone right down to the letter and died the death that I deserved, that you deserved. And then he said, guess what? When I leave you, this is how I'm going to know that you love me. If you keep my commandments. But guess what? You can't. So I'm going to empower you with my very own spirit so that you can. And by this, we get to show our love for God. And I know it's confusing because we think, I have to know every line, every comma, every little thing, because if I screw up, man, what happens? Well, that's the way that the believers were thinking when Jesus came. But he said, no, no, no. I haven't come to make it obsolete. I haven't come to, uh, to tell you that you don't need to do these things, but I've come to tell you that I'm going to do the things that you couldn't so that you can know me, so that you can follow me. And now... The law of Jesus says that I'm not trapped by the law, I'm free by grace. And it doesn't mean that I get to go out and live like I didn't know Jesus at all, but it, no, now it means that I am free to know God. I am free to serve God. I am free to obey God. I am free to glorify Jesus. I am free to make Him known. See, the law is not about entrapment. The keeping of commandments is not about squandering our hope. It's about giving us freedom to be God's people, to live for God, to make Him known, all of which we are incapable of. If you love me, you keep my commandments. It's a crazy thought. All the if-then statements that we cover in 1 John, a lot of them were like, yeah, 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 I like those, that's good. But this one, we come to it, and we're like, ah, ah, I don't like obedience, <laughs> unless it's my dog. I want my dog to obey me at all costs, but I, otherwise, that implies that somebody has to tell me to do. Well, you know what? I'll confess it in front of you. I need God to tell me what to do. I need God to direct my steps. I need God to remind me that if it's left up to me, We don't want that. I think for us, before we can begin to even figure out what it means to keep his commandments, I think that confession needs to be in each one of us. God, I need you. I need you to take the reins. I need you to steer. I need you to tell me where it needs to be plowed. I need you to tell me where to take the load. I need you. And then we start to figure out by looking at Jesus, by listening to Jesus, by trusting in his promise of a helper 
what it looks like to obey. Out of love, not out of religion. Because we get to now, and we weren't capable of it before. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we thank you, God, that you love us enough not to leave us alone. We thank you, God, that we are not yoked to a father who doesn't love us, a father who doesn't care where we go, but we are, we are yoked to a God who does desire, who does desire to work all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God, I pray that at the deepest part of me, I can declare every single day that I need you. I want you to direct my life. Even on the days to where it is evident and obvious that that I am not in the mood to be told what to do. God, I pray that the voice in me that is from you would be louder to say that I need you. I want you. Please direct me. And God, thank you for the spirit that gets to live in us that you are cultivating us a trust to rely on, to listen to for teaching, to listen to for guidance because you knew we couldn't do this by ourselves. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus whose life we can look at, whose words we can listen to, and whose promises we can trust so that we can know you. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.